0: Corinthians series, going through our Rethink series, and today we're rethinking culture. Doesn't that look awesome? I saw Vin this morning writing culture on there, and he's probably spent half an hour on each banner, just like, just getting it perfect. I love it. It looks, it looks awesome. Vin, is Vin in here? Where's Vin? Yeah, every week, this is the expectation now, like, he set the bar really high, we need to take a picture of that. <laughs> so uh, we're rethinking culture today. We've, we've done a couple, uh, we've done a lot in, in our topics over First Corinthians. We rethink identity, rethink evangelism, rethink we discipleship. We're gonna go into rethink sex next week, we're gonna go into rethink family, rethink marriage, rethink singleness, uh, a whole bunch of topics all through First Corinthians. And this verse, the reason we're centering on this verse today is Paul is establishing a rule of thumb, a rule of living, a rule of life, a rule of faith for us as followers of Jesus. And this, this rule of faith takes us, we can take this and apply it to almost anything, maybe anything, in the Christian faith and, and so, in the context of this passage, that one verse that Dahlia read is, is in the context, and Paul's about to apply it to sex. So we'll talk about that next week. Later on in chapter 10, he applies it to something totally different. And then when we get there, we'll talk about it there. He's talking about religious practices there. But today we're just gonna talk about this verse in general and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, Hopefully this is gonna give you a new insight into how a Christian lives, what a Christian is all about or should be about. If you are a follower of Jesus, you may find that you maybe misunderstood what some things were about. So we're gonna talk Rethink Culture and just walk through this one verse uh, in the scriptures. Before we get there, I don't know why I just fixed that. There's like a wrinkle in there, and it was bothering me. <laughs> so, but it's good now. Um, I, Corinth. So Paul is writing this letter, it's called 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. This is a brand new church. And, and Corinth is very much a city like Toronto. So here's, I have a, I have a twin sister, and we are not identical, so don't ask. Those of you guys who, who know, <laughs> that's, that's the number one question I get, are you guys identical? Well, identical isn't about the way if we look alike in the face. It's more biological and physiological than that. Um, so we'd have to have other things identical for us to be identical. Um, we are, yeah, now you guys are getting it, okay? So me and my sister, we're not identical. We do have similar features though. So we both have darker features. Uh, we're both fairly intelligent people. <laughs> I would say I'd, I'd beat her on that. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I am one minute older, so I'm older than her. The doctor just pulled me out first, I guess. Um, but we have a lot of similarities. We have the uh, same sense of humor, um, almost. She's not as sarcastic as I am. We, we, have, uh, we both have two daughters uh, around the same ages, which is kind of freaky. Uh, but. We have a lot of similarities, and that's what's happening here for us. When we read when we read First Corinthians, we should look at Corinth like we know Toronto, like we live in Toronto, because Toronto is very much like Corinth in uh, the New Testament. And uh, so, let's say a couple things. Corinth is multicultural. Toronto is multicultural. We're both we're both pluralistic. There's many different religions and faith-based. Uh, um, Systems in in Toronto and in Corinth. Uh, both cities are very promiscu- promiscuous. Uh, both cities are um, uh, wealth-based, very wealthy cities. A lot of money comes through them. They're they're based on success and wealth and power and position. These are things that we share in common with Corinth. And and so when we're going through this letter, we should view Corinth and the issues they're dealing with there as as potential, if not present issues that that we are dealing with just by living here in toronto and one of the reasons my family moved to toronto four and a half years ago was because it wasn't just to plant a church it wasn't to move to toronto to start a church downtown although that was part of it a large part of it was to create culture was because we knew that toronto is the most strategic city in the Western Hemisphere to create culture. And we're Americans. So we didn't go to New York, we didn't go to LA, even though those create culture. We came to Toronto because the world is here, because the nations are here, because when we create culture here, it gets disseminated other places. And, and Toronto is just beginning to realize that. We're just beginning to realize that as a city. We're just starting to take uh, walk into the spotlight on the global stage and and show the and show the world who we are. I mean, when's the last time like both Raptors and the Leafs were in the playoffs, right? I mean, come on. Uh, we won't talk about the Jays this morning. I know that's sad. I just saw uh, I saw Tim shed a tear. Right? <laughs> He's like, yes. Um, but like, we're, we're stepping in the spotlight now, and Toronto is so strategic for this. And this is how culture works, guys. When, so take Canada, culture is not created and disseminated in Saskatoon. Sorry for you guys who are from Saskatchewan. Yeah. <laughs> Regina is not creating any culture for us. Um, sorry, guys. But, <laughs> You were born there. Yeah, look at you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, Toronto is creating culture for Canada. Vancouver is creating, is creating culture for Canada. Montreal uh, used to do it on a larger scale. Um, Toronto inherited that when everything moved here. We're the financial center, we're the cultural center, we're the educational center, the arts center. Thing, uh, the, everything's coming through Toronto. And when culture is created here, guess where it goes? It goes out into the rest of the country. And because Toronto is a global city, it goes out into the rest of the world. And so there's this, this is a very strategic spot for the church. If we're to be uh, creators of culture, then then uh, we have a really big opportunity and privilege and responsibility to do that here in downtown Toronto. And even in a city like this, you have the GTA, culture n- Culture it gets adopted out from the center, from this urban core that we're in right now. So and it goes out to North York, Markham, Thornhill, Vaughn, Hamilton, Burlington, all the way out, Ajax, all, all, all that. So we're doing that here in the city. And that's a big part of why we moved our family here. That's a big part of why we started this church so that we can do that. We can get the Christian voice back in the public square and begin creating culture again. The issue is, the church isn't doing that right now. The church is just uh, adopting culture. We're just consumers of it. So as we walk through this passage, I want you guys to have this one statement in mind, that we are called to change the world, not be changed by it. And the sad state of the church in Toronto and other cities is that we're not changing the world we're actually being changed by it. And that's not who we're called to be. That's not who we're supposed to be. And there's so much uh, joy and freedom and power in who we're called to be. If we just realize that we're called to change the world, not be changed by it, it's gonna change everything, how you live your life. And we're gonna talk about that this morning. So let's jump into the passage, a passage, the verse. And Paul starts out with saying, all things are lawful for me. And you see there, it's in quotes. So he just says, actually, I don't need my Bible this morning, because it's all right here, <laughs> the whole verse. So all things are lawful for me. And you see it's in quotes. And what Paul is doing is he's quoting a Corinthian saying. So the church in Corinth, remember, they're, they're brand new in their faith. And they're just realizing uh, what it means to be free in Christ. And they have this, this statement there. And, and they're just saying, hey, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. And they're not understanding exactly how grace and freedom in Christ work. Archie, were you sitting there earlier? Oh, okay. So you heard my Saskatchewan comment. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know Archie was in here. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, so... Uh, they're saying this and, and they don't realize what they have in Jesus. So Missy and I, f- 2013, however many years ago that was, I can't do the math right now. Four, four years ago. <laughs> I know, basic math, yeah. It's, so four years ago, Missy and I were in Libya, in the capital city in Tripoli, and this is right after the Gaddafi regime fell. And so if, you, if uh, in Libya, they had been under a dictator for 40, 50-plus years. Their, their entire modern-day Libya, all they knew was a dictatorship. And they lived under this guy, Gaddafi, their whole existence. So generations grew up under this regime. His regime gets overthrown. Missing in Libya and Tripoli, and it's a nuthouse. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, it was just like all over the place. Um, and my friend and I, we're walking through the streets of, of Tripoli, and this guy stops us, and he says, uh, he's, he, he f- I probably shouldn't have spoken, because then he's like, oh, you're American. <laughs> and so we, we walk by, and he says, oh, uh, you're American. And, and he starts talking about this, to us about uh, America and Libya. And um, he's, he's talking about uh, freedom and things like that. And he says to us, he says, we want to be just like America, we want freedom. And he said, no laws. Like, <laughs> and we're like, wait, that's not how freedom works. And he just thought they had no concept of freedom, and this is why the country is still such a mess, because they're learning how to be free. They're like, all things are lawful for me, no laws. Like We just do whatever we want and we can carry our automatic weapons, and we can shoot them in the air over here, and we can blow up stuff over there, and we can shut down the airport over here, and we can do whatever we want with no repercussions because that's what freedom is. And the Corinthian church, that's where they are. They're like, hey, freedom in Christ, grace, forgiveness. We're not bound by anything. Now, some of us are just like that guy in Libya. Some of us, our Christian faith is just like the Corinthian church. That's you. You, You've experienced freedom in Christ for the first time, you've experienced freedom from sin for the first time, you've experienced a new life for the first time, but you don't know how to handle freedom in Christ. A lot of you, your default is to handle it like you've always handled it. You default back to your sin, your sinful patterns. You default to a mentality of scarcity. You default to fear. You default to, um, uh, you know, choosing what's, what's bad and, and choosing what's evil. And, and that's, that's what a lot of us know as freedom in Christ. And we're displaying that to the world, by the way. Some of you guys, you're, you're kind of both. You, you have some sins that you're still shackled by. And then you're experiencing freedom in Christ in other areas. And here's the thing, guys. Those sins that you're shackled by, you're choosing that. You choose to put those shackles on because in Christ, they're not there anymore. You're choosing your old way of life. And, and what Paul is trying to get us to is understand what true freedom in Christ is. And very few of us actually know what that is. Very few of us actually experience genuine freedom in Christ and know what that is. And what's, what's really cool about this passage is when they say all things are lawful for me, they do have one thing right, the Corinthian church. Because there is truth in there. Because we are free in Christ. And how, they've, how this is constructed in the Greek is that they're basically saying that, so no law sanctions anything against them. And that's the truth. There's no law that sanctions anything against us in, the, in, in this world. We have that freedom in Christ. Um, and, and they're saying that, they're basically saying, on the, and then they add to that, we're no longer bound by the law. And the truth is Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus has satisfied all its requirements, every single part of it. And he's done everything to uh, fulfill it, not abolish it, the, Matthew 5 says. He's actually fulfilled it. And Paul says in Romans that we are no longer bound by the law of sin and death. When we're in the spirit, sin and death have no hold on us. That's your reality if you're a follower of Jesus. That's your truth. That's what you should live by. But we keep on going back to our old self. We keep on putting the shackles of sin on our our wrists. We're, we're, We're dragging it around. And he says, that's not what you're created for. That's not what you're supposed to be living and so the Corinthians have a little something, right, in that they're no longer bound by the law. But if you look here, it says all things are lawful for who? Me. And then Paul says, but what if we shifted that perspective a bit? But not all things are helpful. And that word helpful is the word, is the word that means beneficial, profitable, but it literally means to bring together. Paul has taken them from me to we. He's taken them from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. He's saying, yeah, you guys are so focused on you. Your, your, your statement is, all things are lawful for me, and you're all about your individual rights. He says, but what if we thought, what's gonna bring us together? What's actually going to unify us? What's beneficial, profitable, helpful for doing that, right? And he, and he, so he starts pointing them to the the collective good. Missy and I were talking with Keen and Lisa this past week, and are they in here? Yeah, they are. Hey, hey, guys. Uh, we were talking with Keen and Lisa this past week, and don't worry, I'm not going to share your your issues. <laughs> I'm just kidding, we didn't even talk about issues. Uh, and uh, Keehan said something so insightful, um, I know, shocking, but <laughs> he, said so, he said something so insightful. Uh, he really honed in on the difference, on one of the major key differences between Americans and Canadians. He said Americans are all about their individual rights. We're all about the me, right? We're, we're that, first, that first one. And Canadians are more about the collective good. What's going to benefit the collective good? And, uh, and then Lisa, Lisa jumps in, and she says something even more insightful. Uh, she says, well, what if we compared Canadians to Scandinavians? <laughs> and we're like, well, Canadians look almost as bad as Americans do to, to Canadians as Canadians do to Scandinavians. Did you guys follow that? Yeah, you're like, yeah, go Scandinavia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, curtsy. Um, so, because Scandinavians are even more so on the collective good. So, and, and Kean used the word spectrum. He's like, yeah, there's, there's this spectrum where, and where if we put it, it's, it's kind of relative. Americans look horrible in terms of that. Um, but then when we put Canadians to, next to Scandinavians, we're like, well, our country needs to work on some things too. Um, and, but if you, if you just take the collective good, what if we took Scandinavia and we put the church next to Scandinavia? What do you guys think the church would look like? Would we be about the collective good? Would we look as good as Denmark or Sweden? <laughs> or would we look like Americans? Americans. And, and I know Canadians, you get, none of you guys want to look like Americans. <laughs> so you're like, we don't want to look like Americans. <laughs> We're supposed to be about the collective good. And Paul's pointing us to that. It's like, that's us, guys, he says. You're worried about your individual rights. And think about it, if everyone's going after what's lawful for me, what does that mean for the collective good? means nothing it totally breaks it down because what's what's good for me may not be what's beneficial for you but if we're all going and our focus is all towards the collective good what's going to benefit what's going to benefit or if we're all going towards that we're all going to benefit from it and you might say well I'm not going to benefit as much as I would like that's your sinful selfish. Self talking, because when we go for the collective good, we all benefit. Like there's just benefit. Now, like I said, you might say, "Well, I get less money." You know, take take how we do healthcare. Like, yeah, we pay higher taxes for it, but it's good for everybody. Uh, we don't have to pay when we go to the hospital, right? Um, same same thing here. We all benefit from it. But um, what? What gets us, and this is the root of sin, this is the root of their problem, this is the root of our problem, is that we're self-centered, we're self-focused. We're saying, well, what's good for me? And Paul says, what if, instead of wondering what's good for you, you wondered what's good for the other? What if, instead of being focused on your needs, you're focused on the needs of others? What if, instead of wanting what's beneficial for you, you said, what's profitable for the community? What's the best thing that can happen for the community of believers? And if we can't do that here, how do we expect to create that culture anywhere else? And so Paul is saying, it starts here with us. You guys need to shift this from from me to shifting it to what's beneficial for the collective good. And then he goes in and he says, he repeats himself, and he says, all things are lawful for me. And he just repeats the frame, but I will not be dominated by anything. So he's like, you guys are saying this again, but here's another thing that I want to offer perspective on, Paul says. So he just pointed them to the collective good, and now he's pointing them to Jesus. What, what is dominating you? What, is pow- what has power over you? Superficially, you may say, oh, well, nothing. But think about it. Is it your job? Is it your family identity? Is it your sexual identity? Is it um, a certain sin? Uh, What controls you? Because if it's not the Spirit, it's something else. The Bible's pretty pretty stark on that. Like it's either it's either God or it's something from the world. So what is that for you guys? We'll never change the world if we're dominated by something else. And if we're called to change the world, and we're called to create culture, then we can't be changed by the world. But that's what's happening to us as individuals, as a church, as a collective group, we're just being changed by the world. Uh, I'm going to throw up this graph for you guys, and use this as an, uh, or chart, use it as an evaluative matrix for you. So I have here the culture of the six, you like that? Culture of the spirit on the other side. Um, and we're just going to walk through this. This is what a lot of us are in the left here. Okay? So evaluate yourself as we walk through this. Because we need to be, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're, if we're the church and we're going to create culture, which we're going to talk about in a second, uh, we need to have the culture of the spirit, the culture of the kingdom. So first thing is material wealth and comfort. Is that, does that have power over you? Does that dominate you? And you may say, well, no. But think about it. What do you worry about? What do you put your money towards? What's comfortable for you? you got to have the good house. you got to have the good car. you got to have the good... Uh, I don't know. What else is there? <laughs> Job? Job? Um, you gotta have uh, whatever material well you gotta have nice clothes, whatever it is, put put in there. Look at where you spend your money, look at what you save. Like we think savings a good thing, right? We should save for retirement, we should have savings accounts, we should invest wisely. That's not exactly the culture of the kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Kingdom Manifesto 5, 6, and 7, tells us everything we need to know about the kingdom. Well, not everything, but a lot of what we need to know about the kingdom. He says, don't store up your treasures where moth and rust destroy. Lay up your treasures in heaven. What are we doing when when uh, when we save money? What are we doing when we invest wisely? What are you doing when you buy that house and you're investing in that house? Jesus says... Moth and rust is gonna destroy that. Why are you putting everything into that? Why is your life focused on that? Why is that your everything to have those things? Because your treasure is not there, your treasure's in heaven. And yet you're focused on this life and these material possessions and you're not geared towards what's gonna build spiritual fruit in this world. And that's hard for us to hear. We live in a very materialistic Western culture And he says, that's not the culture of the kingdom. That's not what it's supposed to be like. He says, the guy who builds his silos of grain and stores it up, guess what's going to happen to him? His life is going to be called on the very next day, and he would have done it all for nothing. Jesus says, today has enough uh, of its worries. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just worry about today. Take care of today. That's the kingdom culture. That's probably, for most of you guys, that probably hit you somewhere, I hope. I mean, it hits me somewhere. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not actually living according to what Jesus has called us to. Because yeah, the, this is important to me, or this is important. And, and Jesus is saying, no, it's not about material wealth and comfort. Jesus showed us that. He, someone came up to him and said, hey, I wanna follow you, Jesus. And he's like, hey, it's gonna be hard. I don't have a home. I have nowhere to lay my head every night, Jesus says. He says foxes have holes, and he goes on this whole thing. He says, but the son of man me, I don't have a home. It's anywhere God takes me. And the guy is like, eh, "Well, I guess I'm not going to follow you." Jesus, following Jesus is Jesus is never going to coerce you into following him. Jesus does not coerce love, but he requires everything of you. Everything. Because if you choose Jesus, he says it's all or nothing. And the second thing, immediate gratification. Is this the culture that, that you're consumed with? Think sex, think food, think uh, drink, think purchasing things. What, what, what do you need? Uh, what, how are you consumed by immediate gratification? By by Consumption? Like our culture is very, uh, especially in the West, compared with culture in the East, we're so focused on immediate gratification. We need it now. We're, we don't want to wait. But oftentimes, waiting on the best thing, or the best, I should say, the best thing requires waiting. It requires longing for that. And Jesus is building something in us to wait for that good thing. But we're so consumed with the the now thing. We want it now. And what Jesus points us to in the culture of the kingdom, in the spirit, he says, trust in God's goodness. And this is Matthew 6. This is Matthew 7. Jesus says, uh, don't be anxious about anything. Um, don't worry about those things. I'm going to give them to you. And in Matthew chapter 7, he says, he says, uh, where is it? he says, the father is gonna give good gifts to those who ask him. If your earthly fathers know how to do that, he says, how much more so your father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him? And a lot of times, our immediate gratification is because we we can't trust in God's goodness. We can't just trust that God is good and that he is gonna be there for us. And guess what? I think I said this, I may have said this last week. God's goodness does not depend on what he does or doesn't Give you, or what you do or don't have. God is good regardless. It's his character, it's who he is. Right? We, we just sang that good, good father. It's who he is. Because what's, what's lawful or, or what's beneficial for you may not be beneficial for someone else. Remember? We're switching from me to the collective good. And, and Paul is switching us towards that uh, power and position. And you guys may think, oh, we live in a very, we live in a very, um, almost a socialistic society where where no nail comes above the other ones. If it does, we kind of hit it down. Um, but think about this at your workplace. Downtown Toronto's not like this. I've been on Bay Street, everyone in their power suits. And yeah, yeah, I go dressed like this and everyone looks at me like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't have to go in an office all day. <laughs> <I don't know laughs> um, but it's all about power and position. Think about your workplace. Think about university, where you're at right now. Um, it's all about gaining that. And the culture of the kingdom is first shall we last, last first. It's humility. It's serving. It's, it's uh, putting others before yourself. Uh, social justice. Our city is very social justice oriented, which is, which is an awesome thing. But you know what Jesus says about social justice? He says two things. Uh, one is, is the golden rule, like we should do to others as we want done to us. That's social justice. Like if we see someone suffering, if we were in their place, we should do something about it. We would do what we, what we would expect done to us. And he also says those who do social justice they don't announce it from the rooftops. They don't publicly display their righteousness before others because that's not your reward. In our city, yes, it's very social, social justice oriented, but it's very publicly oriented. Hey, look at, look at what we're doing. Look at what our company is doing. We support this charity. Look at what our organization is doing. We're helping out here. Jesus says, that's not your reward. You're just supposed to do to others as as you would have done to yourself. And then tolerance. And tolerance is the buzzword. Tolerance is... is, um, When you place tolerance next to what love is and the Christian concept of love, tolerance looks evil compared to that. When you put it next to perfect love, and we're okay with tolerance but Jesus calls us to a radical love in the culture of the kingdom he says you don't just love those who are good to you you don't just love those who agree with you and you actually love those who disagree with you and you love those who disagree with you and punch you in the face when you when they disagree with you you turn your other cheek and you love them and you don't hold a grudge and you forgive and you love and that's radical That's completely radical, and that's the culture of the kingdom. That's the culture of the spirit. And Gandhi knew this. Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount. This is where all this is coming from, chapters 5, 6, and 7, every day. Gandhi would not call himself a Christian. He never called himself a Christian. But he he would wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, and he would meditate and pray to, I don't know what, but he would meditate and pray over the Sermon on the Mount, every morning and he changed a nation he didn't just change one he, he created one 1947 india became a nation and he created a nation and he's not a christian guys he's he wouldn't consider himself a follower of jesus not not completely not in the way we talked about it so how much more so should we be doing those things how much more so do we have the power to change things? Jesus says in the Gospels, and I love the Gospel of Matthew. It's become my favorite Gospel to read. There's so much, there's so much in it. Um, when people come up to Jesus, and this is where Jesus is authoritarian, like I said. He requires all of you. He's not going to force you, but if you say yes, he says everything. It's everything. And... There's a few instances in the gospel. There's this one where a guy comes up to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. He says, but first, I need to go say bye to my family. You know what Jesus says to him? Bye. He says, don't come back. If if your family's more important to you than following me, don't come back. Another guy comes to Jesus and uh, Jesus says go sell all your he's a rich guy he says go sell all your possessions give it to the poor and he goes right to the guy's heart it's not about his wealth he goes right to the guy's heart his, his idol is material wealth it's power it's position he goes right to him and he says go sell it all give it to the poor then come follow me and the guy walks away sad and Jesus says you're not worthy of me you're not worthy of the kingdom if you can't do that if you're holding on to something Jesus is very authoritarian in this. He says it's all or nothing. And we see this example in Gandhi, a non-Christian, and we see Jesus, and Jesus is creating this this specific kind of culture. And, And he's showing us that we actually have the power to do that. We can actually be culture creators, not just consumers of it. We can actually take culture. So oftentimes in, in, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there's two ends of the spectrum. We either fully adopt culture. We're just a fish in water. It's like, oh, we're swimming in the water like anybody else in our city. Yeah, they're, they're going for power and position. Yeah, why not us? Yeah, they're, look at what they have. They have a home and they have good, good things. Why, why shouldn't we have that? They have, you know, we can go on and on. And we're going for, uh, we're just swimming in this water with the rest of the world. And we don't even know it. A fish doesn't know it until what? Until you take them out of the water. And that's the other end of the spectrum. You throw the fish uh, out of the water. And some of us as Christians, we get out of the water. Well, what happens when we get out of the water? We die. <laughs> we flounder there and, and we don't have life. Those aren't the only two options, okay? There's, a th- there's two more options. One is a less desirable option, um, is, well, I would say an undesirable option. It's, well, let's create our own Christian subculture. Let's imitate, let's copy, let's take what the culture has, take out the bad parts, and make it Jesus-centered. But what happens is, you have culture, you have a subculture, And what happens in that subculture? There's a bubble. And nothing ever comes out of that bubble. We're not actually changing culture. We're not creating culture. We're just here. We're Saskatoon. (laughs) Right? Yeah. We're just here by ourselves. And what happens to Saskatoon? They get made fun of right now. They're getting made fun of. That's what happens to Christian culture. We actually hurt ourselves. We just, people mock us. You know, and this is why I, I don't really love the Christian music industry. Because, like, you, we've just created something that's not as good as regular culture. Right? And we can, we can throw a bunch, bunch into this. So what's the best option? What if we actually learned how to engage culture? What if we actually learned how to redeem culture? What if we actually learned how to think wisely about culture? What if instead of just accepting your beliefs, you actually knew why you believed what you believe and you could engage culture in that way? Most of us haven't been taught that. Most of you guys are too scared to to search that out but you need what's called an epistemological foundation. It's, ha- it's, it's knowing uh, why you believe what you believe if we're gonna engage culture properly. Because we're called to create it. We're not called to jump out of it and throw it all away because culture is good. God created us to create culture. This is the cultural mandate in Genesis chapter one, the beginning of the Bible, that we're to be fruitful and we're to multiply. He created us for this. We're supposed to be the, the creators of it, the disseminators of it. But yet, we've, we've created our own, our own bubble here. So how do we create culture? That's the question you're asking. Well, that sounds all good, but how do we even do that? This guy, Andy Crouch, um, he wrote this, a whole book on this. It's called Culture Making. And so let me walk through a couple quotes with you guys. He says this, So do you want to make culture? Find a community, a small group, who can lovingly fuel your dreams and puncture, deflate your illusions. Find friends and form a family who are willing to see grace at work in one another's lives, who can discern together which gifts and which crosses each has been called to bear. Find people who have a holy respect for power and a holy willingness to spend their power alongside the powerless. It's a different kind of power. Find some partners in the wild and wonderful world beyond church doors. And then together make something of the world. How awesome is that quote? That's a good quote, right? That's what Trinity Life Church is in Toronto for. That's why we planted this church, to do exactly that. And you're like, well, beyond church doors, why would you plant a church if we're supposed to be beyond church doors? It starts here, guys. It starts here. You know, it sounds daunting, right? Creating culture, changing the world. But what, we, what I mean by that is when you think of changing the world, think about changing your world. It doesn't just start on a large scale. It has to start on a small scale. And when you change your world and I change my world, and we come together, then we can change our workplace. We can change our neighborhoods. We can change our church. We can change our city. And because Toronto is so strategic, we can change the world. That's what God's called us to. That's how the kingdom starts too, isn't it? The kingdom starts as a mustard seed. Starts small and it grows up into this big tree and it and it, uh, it it provides shelter, it provides security, it provides life, fruit, sustenance and that's what creating culture does. And creating culture happens through creating cultural goods. And Andy Crouch has another quote on this, cultural goods. He says, to be a Christian is to stake our lives on this belief. The only cultural goods that ultimately matter are the ones that love creates. Think about history. You have cultural goods, like think about just in recent history. I won't go all the way back, but think about um, cars and planes, computer, Internet. These shifted the way we live. Smartphones, they've shifted the way we've done everything. He says, for the kingdom, the only cultural goods that matter are the ones that are created by this radical love of the kingdom. Those are the ones that are going to shape our city. Those are the ones that are going to last, that moth and rust aren't going to destroy, but are going to last into the future. And we alone have the power to do that as the church because we have Christ. And this is the last, the, the final quote on... With Andy Crouch he says I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside our churches are we known as critics consumers copiers condemners of culture yes I'm afraid so why aren't we known as cultivators people who tend and nourish what is best in human culture who do the hard and painstaking work to preserve the best of what people have done before us. Why aren't we known as creators? People who dare to think and do something that has never been thought or done before. Something that makes the world more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful. Do you know why Paul gives this last statement as a rule of faith, as a rule of life for us as followers of Jesus, where he says, I will not be dominated by anything. Because we are the ones who are supposed to dominate. And that sounds crazy, right? It's not in the way this world thinks. But when God gave us the world, in Genesis one, he created and it was good, he says, you guys, as my disciples, as my followers, are supposed to exercise dominion and authority over this world. You're to create culture. Culture is not supposed to dominate us. We're supposed to dominate culture. What's happened is the creator in us and culture has become the created. And we're just consumers of it. And We've switched. And the church is supposed to be creating it and disseminating it. And he says, Jesus is our Lord and Master, not culture. And all authority and power has been given to Jesus, and we are in him. And he is our life. Why do we live like the rest of the world? Jesus says, if you're content with living like the rest of the world, you're not worthy of the kingdom. Those who don't live like the rest of the world and are content of finding the narrow passage in me, he says, those are the ones who are worthy of the kingdom because they've given up everything. They've given up everything for my sake. So Paul says, we are not to be dominated by anything. He says, we're not to be focused on ourselves. It's what's beneficial. And there's some things, guys, in culture that we can just throw out there's some music you listen to that you just throw out. There's some movies you watch and you just throw out. Most of our world, we can discern well. We're not called just to be mere acceptors and consumers of it. We're not called to get totally out of culture. We're called to create it and to disseminate it. We're called to change the world, guys. And that's what this church is here for. And that's what we're here for. So you're missionaries in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your friend, with your friends, in your families. You're taking this culture. And what are you showing to the world? What are you showing to those groups? Which culture are you showing? And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be in the culture of the kingdom. And so evaluate yourself and, and ask God to, to cleanse you of those things. If you're not a follower of Jesus, know that Jesus loves you. It's a radical type of love. He gave Himself up for you when when you didn't want it. And He died for you. And He's offered you forgiveness and hope and joy and peace and goodness. But you have to choose. Am I content with something that is just going to fade away? Or do I want something that's everlasting and is going to create something everlasting in me? And, is, and, when, and then Jesus is going to use me to create something everlasting in the world. The choice is simple. It's, it's life or death. Paul fr- frames it here and not right and wrong. He says, actually, the question is, what's good? Not what's, not what's wrong or right. What's good or bad for you? It's not a legalistic thing. He says, what's good? What's beneficial? What's profitable? What's, what's going to bring you together? And the only thing that does that for us is the Spirit of God. I mean, look around this room. We're so different. The only reason we're all in the same room together is because the Spirit of God has brought us here. Whether you're a follower of Jesus today or not, the Spirit of God has brought you here because he used somebody else to do it, because he's spoken to you like, to come to this place this morning. And when we unite around the spirit and the culture of the spirit, we can do amazing things in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've called us to. The truth of the gospel is often hard to hear, but it's so refreshing. We don't hear things like this in our culture. so we praise you for that we praise you that you loved us enough to tell us the truth we praise you that your love is radical that is radically changing us and father I don't want to be someone who hinders somebody else's transformation because I'm so consumed with the culture of our city I want to be someone who spurs on transformation in somebody because I'm consumed with the culture of the Spirit. And so make us a church that is like that. And we can show our city that the things they're chasing are fleeting and they're fading and they're ephemeral and the things of you are everlasting and forever. And we want those things and we want you, Lord Jesus. So do your work in us today